0: You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody, it's Erin Carey. Welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. And I am so excited to introduce you guys to Rachel S. S. Heslin. She has been immersed in the study of psychology for over 40 years. Her father, a clinical psychologist, taught his children his craft such that Rachel was first introduced to neuro-linguistic programming concepts when she was nine years old. Rachel is currently the author of two books, Navigating Life, Eight Different Strategies to Guide Your Way, and Rituals of Release, How to Make Room for Your New Life. Her work through her company, The Fullness of Your Power, helps people embrace all parts of their true selves so they can live happier, more successful, and more deeply fulfilling lives. So Rachel, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for inviting me. And we had quite a few technical difficulties getting on the show today. (laughs) And so I just think that that means we're going to have an amazing (laughs) time discussing all things related to really, I wanted to talk about neuro linguistic programming to start and then just go from there. So, can you give a brief um, explanation as to what neuro linguistic programming is? At its core,
1: It refers to the way that the stories that we tell ourselves can impact both our experience and our opportunities. The world is the way the world is. And I happen to believe that as human beings, we're just not capable of fully understanding capital T truth. There's just too much going on. So each of us decides what things coming in are actually important. And then we construct a narrative of meaning, of saying, well, this is because of this, or this means that. And the programming aspect of neuro-linguistic programming, which is basically neurons, the, the brain linguistic words and the programming, is that once we have a general idea of how we think the world works and who we think we are we run on that program and that's the way we interact with the world so that that, that's a very and and it's that's its core
0: and all things from there is just commentary yeah, no, it's so interesting. And so you're saying, so this programming happens before we have verbal words really to explain what's going on around us. Yeah. It starts out
1: from birth as we're trying to figure out the world. And at the point that we are pre-verbal, it gets programmed as, uh, I guess, sensations and assumptions that are very basic concepts such as, am I loved? Am I lovable? Am I cared for? Am I safe? Those are the very basic concepts. Uh, What I find interesting is that as we become, even after we become verbal, some of these ideas that we pick up from the world about the world when we're kids actually get stuck at the kid level because the brain itself changes we're born (laughs) half-baked uh it's just one of those things about human beings that if we waited until our brains were fully developed before we were born yeah, moms would not be happy. That would just the, the heads would be too big. It's like, yeah, that's not a good idea. So, when we're born, the brain is shooting out all of these neurons. There are dendrites expanding everywhere. It's like, okay, we don't know what we are gonna do, so we're just gonna do everything, and that goes on until it starts slowing down to three years old. About that time, and then a lot of the neural pathways actually atrophy because we're not using them depending on which language you speak at home there are certain diphthongs and vowels and things that you are just not using because that's not part of your uh your basis and the brain says you know we could use that brain material elsewhere So it essentially soaks it in, it prunes those trees, so that it can strengthen other pathways you're actually using. There is another brain shift that happens about the age of seven. And again, it's just, okay, we've been, we've needed to learn this way up to this point, but now we're going to start developing a prefrontal cortex. We are going to start noticing other things, we're going to be looking at the world another way. And that there's a brain shift that goes on throughout adolescence, up until the 20s. The reason when it comes to looking at the programming aspect of neuro linguistic programming is anything that we learn prior to one of these developmental brain shifts feels like truth mm. this is why when you can be a full grown adult and you still find yourself kind of sinking back into yourself if you're afraid somebody's going to be mad this is why people get frustrated with themselves for people pleasing habits when they know in their head it's really not necessary And the reason is because that programming goes back to when they were a little kid and they were dependent upon adults for survival. Mm. So even though the brain says, what am I talking about? I know I should stand up for myself. I know it's not going to be awful, but the part that's still running that program is still a little kid.
0: Wow. So, so the way you're saying the way that our needs got met or didn't get met as we were young, very, very young before we can even really remember it, that's going to determine kind of how we show up as adults, right? It's going to influence. It doesn't determine. Uh,
1: Uh, it's, It's actually a very important distinction because programs can be changed. They can be altered. Also, uh, interpretation has a lot to do with it. For example, say uh, something happens to a child and their needs are not met. One child will think, uh, will, d- will interpret that as, I can't trust other people. I have to do everything myself. Someone else in a similar situation, similar age, will interpret it as, oh, That must mean that I am not lovable and not worth caring for so it's individual and they're both incorrect and they're both based on the misunderstanding that the world revolves around us.
0: (laughs) The truth is that people got their stuff going on. Yeah, gosh, isn't that the truth? And so much of of our own stuff, it's based on our own perspective and our own lens, which is why I'm so glad we're having this conversation now. I want to pause real fast and thank our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Sleep Number. I love my sleep number bed. I've been sharing about it for a while now. My sleep number is 40. And I will tell you that my Sleep IQ score for the month of December is 79, which I consider to be pretty good considering that I had a cold the first part of the month. We were traveling. We had friends in town we had a lot going on. And so the fact that I maintained a consistent sleep routine and kept my sleep score above 75 is just another testament to how much I love my sleep number bed and how much it helps me get a deep restful sleep. Quality sleep is so important as we head into the new year and it It not only makes it easier to stick with your goals, sleep also helps boost energy, recovery, and well-being. I'm not really big on New Year's resolutions, but I did write myself a New Year's prescription this year, and one of those items on my prescription for myself is getting to bed before 10.30, preferably around 10 p.m. I think it's so important to make sleep your number one goal. Whether you've set out to exercise more, maybe that's part of your prescription, maybe you want to eat healthier, or maybe you want to just parent with patients, most of these resolutions are all going to benefit from quality sleep. Quality sleep is important for overall health, performance, and mental well-being. Eating healthy, weight loss, and exercise are all improved with quality sleep. It all starts with sleep. It's foundational. Getting better quality sleep can help you make healthier decisions in the kitchen. The more you sleep, the better you will exercise, and the more you exercise, the better you will sleep. It is a cycle. Discover special offers now for a limited time at your local Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com/wholeness. Sleep Number proven quality sleep is life changing sleep. Now, getting back to our stories and the way that we view the world, how do you facilitate transformation in spite of all of these different stories we spin based on our own perspectives? There are, the, the
1: main thing that I try to facilitate is awareness and choice, because these stories are going to come up But that does not mean that you have to run your life by them. Hmm. You do not have to be ruled by them. But the first step is to simply become aware that they exist.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. And I I love going into that because, you know, this whole year, 2021, I I pick a word for the year every year. And this year, my word of the year was uh, was healing or heal heal healing, you know, it's kind of been the the same either way. And I've, I've really been trying to dig into my core belief system and what do I believe about the world around me? What do I believe about myself? And is it even true? You know, because there's a lot of things I think that happened when I was young, perfect example. And I think this would apply to a lot of people when I was very, very little, I was really sick um, with allergies, asthma. I was colicky. And some of my earliest memories are getting medical treatments that I did not want. Now, were they life-saving medical treatments, maybe probably, you know, I mean, when you can't breathe steroid inhalers, breathing treatments, all that helps, but I I had to be held down. And so my earliest memories are feeling helpless and that the people that are supposed to protect me don't protect me. And it's hard for me to separate what was supposed to help me, you know, what was supposed to be helpful from that feeling of being helpless. And so I see how these things can get created, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd I'd
1: like to share something of uh, a story of my own is enoughness. Hmm. That feeling that I can never do or be enough. And I can go back and I can see from my childhood. For me, I was very precocious. I mean, you talked about I'm introduced to these high concept psychological theories when I'm 9 I didn't <laughs> fit in with the world. I just But because of this, people, because I had a really large vocabulary for my age, and I was very intuitive, and I kind of understood things, people assumed that I was more mature, and I knew more than I actually did. We develop part of who we are based upon our interactions with others. So when people were acting as if, I was supposed to know all of this stuff, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm supposed to know everything. Mm -hmm. And because, oddly enough, I did not know everything, I started to pretend. And I started to try to prove like, oh, sure. Uh, Yeah, I'm really confident about these things. I know nothing about because I'm supposed to know everything. But that led into the feeling that because I don't know, I can never do or be enough because I'm supposed to know everything and that will never happen.
0: Wow. Yeah, that is such powerful awareness. Now, I want to take a second and thank our sponsor for today's episode before we get any further. And today's episode is sponsored by Indeed. It's a new year, and you deserve a fresh start. We're talking about rewriting our stories right now on this episode. You can get a fresh start even at work. Take your team to the next level with a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. That's Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, Assessments, and virtual interviews. With Indeed Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. One of the things that I love about Indeed that makes hiring all in one place so easy is that Indeed makes it easy to hire great talent. According to Comscore, Indeed is the number one job site worldwide. Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. With Indeed Instant Match, over 90% of employers get quality candidates as soon as they sponsor their job post according to Indeed data. Candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com spark offer valid through March 31st go to indeed.com slash spark to claim your $75 credit before March 31st indeed.com spark terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed now Rachel getting back to your childhood and your story of enoughness What brought you forward from that? What what brings us forward from these stories? My husband, who is absolutely amazing and the
1: light of my life, and uh, we got married, a friend said, we teach each other that which we ourselves need to learn. (laughs) He has a technique where he says, if you have a really big fear, sink into it go to the bottom and really face it. So I did, and I sunk into what if I am not enough? What if I can never be enough? And what came up is that I'm not enough. And that's okay, because part of what I am here to learn is collaboration is to work with others to be open to support that it's okay to ask for help. Mm -hmm. So this huge fear that I had about not being enough was actually a gift. That wasn't the bad thing that I thought that it was.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I think that so many of us, we stay stuck though, right? We we don't want to go to those hard places, those deep places. And what causes us to feel stuck and how can we get unstuck? The word should. (laughs) And it's not
1: just the word should, but the concept should. The re- I mean, people talk about should this, should this. It's a problem. You shouldn't. You should. Blah blah blah. Irony of that. Uh, but the the reason that it is so, uh, it makes our life so difficult is it's a denial of reality, and it also emphasizes what we're trying to avoid. If you say, "Well, I should do this." The unspoken end of that sentence is, but I'm not. I should be this, but I'm not. I prefer looking at things in terms of desire. You know, I would really like to, which is more open-ended. The more energy you put into dwelling on you know it should not be the way that it is the less energy focus attention you have to actually do something about it Mm. life is supposed to be dynamic life is supposed to be lived and when you get stuck in where i am in this moment is not where i want to be it should not be this way That's energy that could be spent in saying, you know, I don't like where I am. What can I do to change things? Hmm. And I think I want to reiterate that phrase, and emphasize, what can I do? A lot of the times, it's a lot easier to look at everybody else, to look at the situation, to say, well, I can't because of these external factors. And this is not to say that external factors don't play a part because, I mean, look at the last two years, there have been an awful lot of external factors. But the more that we focus on things we cannot personally control, the less energy, focus, and attention I keep using those, those words, we have to actually do something. I like, okay, Stephen Covey talks about the circle of uh, concern versus the circle of influence. Mm -hmm. And the circle of concern is this big ball that contains absolutely everything you care about. Inside that is a subset of those things you actually have some degree of influence over. If you imagine you have 100 attention units, and yes, I'm completely making this up, you get to decide where you put those 100 pieces. If you put 90 of those attention units on the tabloids and what's going on, people are screaming about on Facebook and this, that, and the other, you've only got 10 units of things that you can do. But if you shift that and put say 20 units in those external areas, so you're aware of the outside world, you know what's going on, but then you put 80 of those units into, I'm gonna stay hydrated today. I am going to pay attention to how I'm feeling, I am going to be fully present with my kids when I am with them and actually listen to what they are saying. When you choose to put your attention in those areas. You not only feel a greater sense of control, but you have a greater. Influence on the people around you, and you can make more of a difference in the world. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's good because I think it's so easy to get caught up in everything except yeah. for what, you know, is like right in front of <laughs> you. <laughs> I call myself this morning, I'm checking my emails and I'm looking at yeah. what I have to do today. And I, it, it, all of a sudden, I get that overwhelming sense of, oh, no. What, what am i going to start with what what, yeah. what comes first there's so much to do and because yeah. we are in this age of notifications and yeah. everything is urgent so yeah. that's that's a really tricky thing to do it keeps it, we can feel paralyzed with what oh, do we yeah. start with? well but the, there are two things
1: one we're wired to be distracted we are <laughs> wired for novelty <laughs> our brain feeds us endorphins when mm. we see something cool on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, the whole scrolling thing of, <laughs> uh, cause let's face it, we will scroll for half an hour for two minutes of dopamine. And so it's, true. It is. So this comes back to the awareness of like, okay, is this really supporting who I want to be in the world? what i want to do something that i have become a big fan of just because it's so useful in my own life is modular structures Hmm. these are systems that i've set up that i know support me these are things like having a morning routine Mm -hmm. which for me at its very basic level is going for a walk, reconnecting with my body and doing uh, just an, an embodiment meditation. I am here now looking at the sky and the trees, listening for birds and just starting my day with, okay, clear everything out and reconnect with stuff that's larger than myself. Hmm. and with love and with gratitude things like closing out my day by maybe a little journaling what did I get accomplished and what do I want to do tomorrow things like my date book where I set up here are the things I each month I say okay here are the things I want to accomplish in service of my larger goals each week, looking at, okay, this is what I wanna take care of. And then the night before saying, what really fits into my schedule tomorrow? And it's actually, it is, it's become a ritual for me where it's not just, okay, what do I wanna get done? But setting aside time to sink into what actually fits because my life is not just about getting stuff done. (laughs) It's what are the three to five most important things that I want to accomplish that will give me a feeling of satisfaction at the end of the day and still allow me time for spaciousness, to be present with my kids, to take a moment just to look out my window or to go outside and feel the sun on my skin. Say hi to a neighbor for moments of serendipity. I call it modular structure because I have these different habits, routines, systems, but it's not setting each moment of my day minute by minute. Hmm it's not this 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 and this it's here now i am moving into this now i'm moving into this and by looking at it in a modular format i can be more flexible when things pop up okay we've got a doctor's appointment that means i can't meditate at this time but i could bring along a pad and paper and get some writing done while i'm in the waiting room I have these ideas of what I'd like to do, how do I fit them together for a dynamic lived
0: life? I like that. Yeah. I I think it's interesting that you mentioned the, um, the dopamine boost we get when we're scrolling and it ties into why we fill our schedules like we do, because even that we feel like we're, we're staying busy, you know, that's my badge of honors. I'm so busy. I'm filling up my schedule and I feel more productive, but at the end of the day, it's more overwhelming than anything.
1: Yeah. It's a matter. Uh, I'm, I'm also I really enjoy uh, David Allen's work with getting things done. And one of the things I like about his approach is starting from like airplane level, looking down, who do you wanna be? What is the legacy that you want to leave for your life? And then come down and say, what projects really call to you? What is it you want to accomplish? And I mean, parenting can be a project. I mean, it is definitely (laughs) a skill. But then looking at, okay, if these are the projects that I want to fulfill, the goals, the dreams, how do I break those down into actionable activities? And when you have these different levels of looking at it, it becomes easier to prioritize what is it that will move me forward now another way of categorizing things is energy levels Mm. different parts of the day you get really excited and i know after 3 p.m i'm a mess i am Mm -hmm. not going to be doing anything terribly constructive so the afternoons are for putting away laundry (laughs) because let's face it it needs to be done and it it's I want to touch into that, too, because the the needs to be done can be seen as a should, but it actually, it is part of making life easier for your future self. It is doing things now to make life easier. I like looking at domesticities. The cooking, the cleaning, the all those sort of things—that is part of filling my home with love and support and nurturing my family. Hmm. It's not just tasks. They—they yeah. they talk about the old story of guy walks up to uh, some workers and asks them, well, what are you doing?" And I say, "Oh, well, we're we're laying bricks here." like okay and around the corner someone else is working on the same project and it's like well what are you doing and figure always digging a hole and say i am building the foundation of a cathedral that will reach to the sky and inspire the hearts of millions why are you doing what you do what is it in service of what is this task a stone in a mosaic what is the mosaic what is the thread of the tapestry you are weaving Hmm. and how does it all fit together because everything is connected
0: and everything you do can be done with love yeah, that's good. That's actually really helpful for me. We've, we moved to a new house recently and it took me five months to decorate five months because decorating <laughs> is a task for me. I do not yeah. like decorating. I go to places to those stores that have all the knickknacks and the wall art and everything. And I get overwhelmed and start panicking, yeah. but then, you know, when I actually started doing it, put some pictures yeah. up, started rearranging some things. My husband said, Hey, I think it feels like more like a home now. Thanks for doing that. And I was like, yeah. Oh oh, it's not just a task. It feels like a home. And I think that that might be, that's a good takeaway for all of us moms who get, you know, like I, I I like to work on all my own things. And then the house stuff, I'm like, oh, it's another, but all these things create our home (laughs) and our home creates that feeling of safety and comfort for our kids, you know? So even though they're tasks, you're right. They are tasks that serve a purpose. Yeah.
1: I was, I actually had a conversation with my eldest, my kids are 17 and I've, uh, I was really busy doing things and I was trying to make food available so they could feed themselves. And I said, yeah, I know, but
0: it feels different when you do it. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, I, I have a, a teenager as well. And that's, can you make, can you just make my lunch today? And I'm like, oh my goodness, like at this yeah. point, but you know, but then sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you just, you do it. <laughs> yeah. And I I keep telling
1: myself there's going to be a time I look back mm-hmm. and it's like my, uh, our other kid loves listening to music and sings along with it. And when he's got his headphones on, Mm. it's uh, not as tuneful as it is in his head. And sometimes I'll just listen to that. And even if my first reaction is, we well, am trying to concentrate here. I'm then filled. I'm just flooded with gratitude. Because he's our bonus kid. He came to our lives later. And the fact That he is safe here, Mm -hmm. and he is part of our family, and he's blissfully singing along with his music, (laughs) and I cannot imagine
0: um, anything but love. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I, you know, I think this all kind of ties into this whole theme of recreating the stories that we've come to believe about ourselves, about our life, about the tasks, the daily tasks that we do, you know, so much of how we dictate our time depends on the story that we've created, whether it's early in childhood or things we've picked up in in adulthood or things we've heard from other people that have influenced the way that we feel, you know, and I think these days I do have a question because it seems as if these days, everybody seems to be a little bit more reactionary. Because yeah. of the current climate. There's yeah. been a lot going on the last couple of years. And even before then, it was all brewing under the surface, you know? Oh yeah. Um, so everybody is so reactionary. What can we do to get get ourselves out of that reactionary mindset where not everything is a life or death situation? Honestly, we need
1: to allow ourselves to grieve our losses. Mm a lot of the reaction is people are afraid to admit life will never be the same. They're trying so hard to prove it's okay. It's okay. It's gonna be okay. And the truth is it's not okay. Mm -hmm. People have died. Systems have died. Mm. Things are never going to be The same, but that doesn't mean that it's awful. We need to be sad. We need to allow ourselves to honor our losses. We need to cry. And we need to hold each other and say, yeah, this sucks. This has been awful. You said your word. For the year that keeps coming up is heal. but you cannot heal a wound if you pretend it's not there mm. it's only going to fester i mentioned at the beginning about life being dynamic the purpose of life is not to be happy the purpose of life is to live it And one of my mantras that I keep reminding myself is Khalil Gibran's, the deeper that sorrow carves into my soul, the greater my capacity for joy. Mm -hmm. We need to hold each other and say, hey, you're not alone. I know it's hard and together We can create new dreams, a new future, but first we have to mourn
0: what we have lost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can't heal a wound by pretending it's not there. And you can't heal either without being still and giving yourself a chance to yeah. sit in the pain. You know, we, we want to yeah. cover it up. We want to stuff it down. We want to do Keep more scroll, your stitches. More. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We want to do all of these things that activate that feeling of the, the endorphins and the dopamine. Yeah. And I feel like we're just putting, we're all putting ourselves into a, a greater state of fight or flight. You know, it
1: is, it is where I, one of the images that I love is imagining ourselves as trees with branches that reach to the sky but it's our sorrows where we sink our roots Mm. and we need to be grounded we need to sink our roots deeply into our sorrows and recognize it matters our love for each other have our hearts break open So that they support us in that groundedness, in the deep, rich, fertile
0: soil to support the branches of our dreams. Yes, I love that. You know, tree pose is one of my favorite poses in yoga. And it's because I am reminded That I can sway as much as I need to up at the top, my legs can be shaking, but my feet are firm. And I even I look outside, we just moved to East Texas, and East Texas Mm -hmm. has a lot of pine trees. Pine trees are so tall and so strong and symbolize it. You have a you have a tree background right now. I live in the
1: I live surrounded by national forest as well. So I love trees.
0: I'm obsessed with them. And I really do think because of it's that stability it's that rootedness and i and i crave that for myself and i crave that for my children share oh, look at this. this yes oh that's beautiful <laughs> that
1: was actually i took that at an outdoor restaurant restaurant at my husband's in my anniversary dinner last year i just looked up and said i need to take a picture of this
0: Oh my goodness. I love trees. I, it's just, they're so comforting to me. We lived in a big city, Dallas, if you know the Dallas area at all, there are not a lot of trees, at least in the North Dallas area, we yeah. East Texas, where we're surrounded. And it's, it's, I, I love that because I think that there is something about realizing trees, you know, and I even read somewhere that there needs to be wind. They need to be bending, yes. moving. They need yes. to have that resistance. Yes, But they, that doesn't break them, you know?
1: Yeah. It's kind of like they talk about, you want high impact exercises to strengthen Mm -hmm. your bones Mm -hmm. because it actually forces the body to create more bone matter. Mm -hmm. And you're totally right. The same is true for trees. The wind strengthens
0: the fibers. Mm -hmm. And such a reminder for us, for sure. It's, I, I, it's so metaphorical. I love it. So what can we do? What, what what can we do to update our old stories so that we can live more fully right now? Breathe into them and have compassion
1: for yourself. I mentioned my enoughness story. It still comes up whenever I find myself about to embark on a new endeavor or something that's a little bit bigger than I've done before. I start getting the oh boy, um, I don't know if I can do this. I I'm not going to be able to. Not. But then I recognize it. I was like, oh yeah, I remember you. So it still happens, and what I do is I just take a moment to give that part of myself a hug, and say, yeah, I know. A lot of times, there's a protection element, where there's part of there's that little part inside of yourself that says, uh Oh, we don't want to cause problems. So we'll just be small. So I am going to protect you by having you do this old pattern. And to really appreciate, well, thank you for wanting to keep me safe. And then let them know, I think it will be okay. I mean, I'm a lot older, and I have a lot more resources. And even if it doesn't go the way that I'd like, I mean, one of my my favorite uh, quotes from Michael Bungay Stanier, who's a, a coach and author, is even if nothing about this goes the way that you want it to, what is there about it? that still makes it worth doing. How do you approach your life with curiosity? With, yeah, you'd like things to go a certain way, but what else might be possible? What can I learn from this? What unexpected serendipities may occur? And just cultivate that
0: curiosity, what might be next? I love that concept of cultivating curiosity. And I think it's important to do that. Even when we are seeing some old behaviors, old patterns creep up that are maybe coping mechanisms, you know, things that we, we don't really love that we do, but we find ourselves doing them instead of beating ourselves up about it. It's like, huh, what's going on here? (laughs) Yeah. I, I like that concept.
1: Oh yeah. And it, (laughs) I was talking to someone who, uh, he said that he was so mad at his younger self for feeling responsible about this thing that had nothing to do with them. And I just looked him in the eye and said, do you see the irony in being mad at yourself for being mad at yourself? And they kind of broke into a grin. It's like, okay, yeah. I Okay, so once again, the stories we tell ourselves. uh, (laughs) The first step is just that awareness to realize uh, what are the stories you're telling yourself? Are they applicable? Are they relevant? Are they supportive? Are they the stories you want to be living? Because when it comes down to it, you always have the opportunity to try on a new story yeah. and see if that one, is a little more fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I like that. Try on a new story. I think that's helpful. And it does create, I mean, it, it, it does, um, it does create a need for self-awareness. You know, we have to dig in and we have to go into some hard places to get there. Yeah. Tell me a little bit, because we have just a little bit of time left and I haven't even gotten into this. Tell me a little bit about <laughs> your books. <laughs> Let's oh talk about your work and, and share, share with us, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: my, my first book is entitled Navigating Life, Eight Different Strategies to Guide Your Way. And my purpose with the book is to help share a framework that I personally found useful. I love ideas. I was one of these people who was constantly starting things like, oh, and this over here and this over here, and this is cool. But a lot of times, if you want to get more things done, you need to have some sort of support system to figure out what it is you really want to do. Kind of like what we were talking about earlier, what is your why? what is calling to you? Uh, How do you get rid of the everybody else's stories? Because a lot of times we live our lives based on what we think we should be doing. And we don't even realize we're trying to live somebody else's life. So it's like you have to let go of other people's stuff, figure out what you want, uh, set up a system. And I use the word strategies, because it's not a step by step this is how you bake a cake although i do have sections in the book of that i call rachel's recipes just because i like alliterations but it's these are different areas that it's really good to take into consideration if you want to develop a robust framework to support you when you are trying to do big things it's even things like assessment whether it's are you, have you fallen off your tra- have you fallen off track? How do you get back on track? A different type of assessment is where you're going still where you want to go. because sometimes you get halfway and realize, you know, this isn't what I want to be doing. So how do you have a system to check in with yourself that, yeah, this is still what you want to do. Do you have those systems and routines, like I talked about earlier, so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel every day, you know, okay, if I do one, two, three, it will move me forward. Even if I don't really feel like doing one, two, three, I know those are the things that will get me back on track. I mean, I, I, my favorite of the strategies is the eighth one, and that's celebrate. Because so often we're always looking at what we haven't done yet, we need to give ourselves the time to say, hey, look at all this stuff I've done. This is really cool. If we can share it with people who will cheer us on, that's even better because that gives us an endorphin, that, that whole endorphin burst thing that actually supports a dynamic life because it's doing what we want to do. Okay. I just, My brain just made a connection of two things that we were talking about. I love that. The uh when we do tasks and we don't connect them to the meaning behind them we don't imbue them with love and purpose they're just tasks mm. and they're draining mm-hmm. when we look for the dopamine hit <laughs> and it's not attached to a deeper purpose or accomplishment or something that's actually rejuvenating it ultimately drains us because we know it doesn't mean anything. It's just a chemical boost.
0: Ooh, that's good. Yeah. Ooh, that is so true. I feel that in my own life. I know that is true for people that I work with. That's so good. I'm so glad that you brought that up and tell me real fast about rituals of release. Rituals
1: of release is fun. It's, uh, short and sweet ebook that's based on the idea that we don't recognize when stuff sticks to us. Mm. We know when big events happen. But all the little things that accumulate over the day, weigh us down. Yeah. So we need to have a regular system, I seem to like systems (laughs) of how do we clear stuff out? I like the idea of rituals for two reasons. One of them is it creates a container where you can focus on this right now. Mm -hmm. There's so much stuff in the world tucking at us. We need to say, hold on a second. I know you're there. Not right now. So you set aside a time uh, for this so you can actually focus on what you're doing. And the other reason is it helps reconnect us with a sense of the sacred, even in the most mundane aspects of our lives. I mentioned I use going through my date book as a ritual. I mean, the the four components of ritual for this are creating that sacred space, and you can have a physical location, or it can just be a time saying, this is set aside for this. The second part is setting an intention. What do you want to accomplish as a result of this ritual? What do you want to have changed? The third is performing some sort of action. It is the action that transforms the intention into embodiment. And that completely depends on the person and what it is you're doing. For me, writing things down in my date book and my highlighter and my colored pens and all that, those are a physical reaction. For something else, it's rituals of release, it's letting go of things. If that involves writing poetry, if that involves dancing, sometimes it can, like, like singing or something physical, something that represents what it is you're trying to transform and the fourth part is deliberately closing the ritual and what this does is it acts as an airlock to get put you back into real life and everything coming down it protects your heart so that your heart knows it can be open within this container and it doesn't have to worry about the outside world. One of the neat things is the more you do this and the more that you protect your heart and allow it to be heard and felt and acknowledged and appreciated, the easier it will be to access
0: when you are in the outside world because your heart will trust you. I love that. That is so helpful. You have so many helpful tools. And I think this whole episode has been just a source of inspiration, encouragement, and it's been reframing the way I think a lot of us look at things. I know it's reframed a lot of ways. I look at things. So where can people um, find out more about your books and you and your website, social media, all of that? The easiest way to find me is through my
1: website, which is thefullnessofyourpower.com and I have articles there. I do have a newsletter that I send out more or less monthly where uh, I send out tips and strategies and things that have inspired me and just kind of fun stuff. Uh, I am on Facebook, I do Facebook Lives. Um, I have a YouTube
0: channel. All of those are linked uh, from my website as well. Awesome. And the very last question I have that I've got to ask you, you know, the name of the show is sparking wholeness. So if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? You matter
1: all those little parts of you that you might be ashamed of, or aren't quite good enough. They matter too you have innate value, simply by being who you are. When you learn to love all those parts of yourself, embracing them, giving them hugs because they deserve love too, you will find as you become more congruent and more integrated that you can be so much more than you ever imagined.
0: And everything,
1: everything you ever wanted to be already lives
0: inside you. I love it. That's so powerful. Thank you again for being on the show. Despite all of the technical difficulties (laughs) at the beginning, we had a smooth, hopefully (laughs) the whole thing will come out sounding okay. So I, I just appreciate your time and for coming on.